Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold. So uh, thank you so much for what just happened in the last two and a half days. You are amazing. Again, the Faith Radio family has stepped up in such a significant way. And our uh, our winter share event ended at noon. And believe it or not, I'm still looking at the board that's in the studio and there are still lots of gifts coming in online. Uh, so you, you are truly remarkable, amazing supportive, caring, loving. Um, I know there's a lot of other words I can use right now, but that would take up the full half hour. And I do want to get uh, my guest, David uh, Wheaton, on here in just a minute. But I'm looking at Deuteronomy chapter 2 and verse 7. It says, The Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your hands. He has watched over your journey through this vast wilderness. These 40 years, the Lord your God has been with you and you have not lacked anything. And... We've not been in the wilderness for 40 years at all, but Faith Radio has been around for nearly 72 years, and all of our needs have been met. They continually get met by you, the listeners that care about Faith Radio, that pray for us, that support us, that say, hey, we're in with you on this, and it's a big family. And right now, today, we've got one big happy family around here. We're all big smiles, and so I'm going to just gush for several days uh, just to let you know how much we appreciate you and your genera- your generosity and your cheerful giving heart. So I know that's what the Lord asks is for a uh, cheerful giving heart. And boy, did you do that. So thank you so much. Now, David Wheaton and I have been working on this uh, series w- on Genesis, and we've been doing it now for oh months and months and months, and it's been fantastic. And he entitled the series, How the Book of Genesis is Most Relevant for Today. And we've found that to be true, and I'm so glad to uh, have him back on the program. He's the host of The Christian Worldview, which I highly recommend you listen to. You can go to thechristianworldview.org. All of his episodes are podcasted, and he's also uh, an author and speaker, and he does just about everything, in addition to being a former professional tennis player and maybe the world's nicest guy. So, David, welcome back to the show. Um, Not all that, Bill. uh, (laughs) Thank you for that nice introduction. You're so welcome. Yeah, I, I believe all of it, just so you know. Well, to God be the glory. Yeah, amen. So let's uh, get back into our study on Genesis. Um, let's maybe uh, do what we always do, and we just kind of do a brush up of where we were last. I think we were in uh, 32 and 33 of Genesis. Right, and we're in the story of Jacob. So you have Abraham, then Isaac, and then Jacob. He's the third generation, and God's made this covenant with Abraham that he's going to give him land and seed and blessing is going to be upon his his lineage, and uh, these are the patriarchs of the Old Testament, so this is a really important part of Scripture. So we're now down to Jacob, and the last time we talked, Jacob had left the Promised Land, and, and, and Abraham and Isaac didn't own really anything in the Promised Land at some point. This was going to be a future thing where they were going to inherit the Jews, and Israel are going to have that, that land, but they ha- didn't have it yet, and so they were just nomadic, really, in the land, and and Jacob and Esau were twins, and you remember the story about how there was a stolen birthright and a stolen blessing by Jacob against his older brother Esau. Well, 
Esau has murderous intent towards his younger brother, and they tell Jacob to get out of there, go back to our homeland, find a wife. And so he goes there, and not only does he find a wife, but he comes back with four wives, <laughs> uh, two real wives and two concubines. Mm -hmm. And um, his uncle there, Laban, who is his, his mom's brother, uh, is is upset. There's a contention between. So he has to leave there, and God promised him he'd be coming back to the promised land anyway. So he comes back, but it was enough just trying to disentangle himself from Laban, but now he's got to enter the promised land. And that's where he's going to have this this meeting with his his older brother Esau. And this has been 20 years later now. And Esau, last time he talked to Esau, uh, Esau was intending to kill him. So he has no idea what's going to take place. Jacob has 11 sons now, probably many daughters, four wives, servants, flocks. There's no way he's going to be able to enter back into the land where he left 20 years ago without being noticed. Mm -hmm. So he sends messengers to Esau saying, you know, your servant Jacob is coming back. He's kind of crawling on his hands and knees, you know, please don't kill me. And uh, Esau doesn't respond, and the messengers come back and say, uh, Esau is coming to meet you with 400 men. And so at that point, Jacob thinks, well, that's the end of my life. Mm -hmm. uh, he's coming with 400 men to kill me and everyone with me and take everything I have. Well, miracle of miracles— Esau, in, in a great example of forgiveness, after having lost his birthright and the blessing from his father, which was major at that time, completely forgives um, Jacob. It says, in, it, sa it says in verse 4, Then Esau ran to meet him and embraced Jacob and fell on his neck and kissed him, and the brothers wept. Mm. And, and just, you know, that's enough review of last time, but just an amazing story about how relevant that is for us today. We get offended by people. We think it's the biggest offense in the world. And sometimes it can be. Uh, God always calls us to forgive, and that's just the hardest thing to do. We have to always remember how much, God, how much more God forgave us for our great, even greater sins against Him than anyone else has sinned against us. So we ended last time, Bill, with Jacob kind of back in the land, getting settled with his now eleven sons and four wives, and. The story continues from there. Yeah, fantastic uh, recap, David. Thank you for that. And that moment the brothers embrace is such a powerful image. So I, I do love it that is. we reviewed that uh, portion of the chapter. So let's let's kind of move ahead now. In chapter 34, I think one of the things I, I look when I see chapter 34, I go, okay, life is never smooth sailing, is it? Yeah, yeah. You, hear, you look at Jacob, now he's back in the promised land. He's had that, that, that scenario that's a little hard to interpret where he wrestled with God and he won. Mm -hmm. He wrestled with the pre-incarnate uh, appearance of Christ. Uh, There's a, a spiritual turning point in his life. He's back in the land. He's on good relations with his brother. He's an immensely rich man now. He's blessed with children and so forth. He's where he's supposed to be. And you think, well, now it's going to be smooth sailing here on out, as, as you, you just mentioned. And so life should be good. But, but of course, life in our fallen world never stays good forever. And, and literally the first verse of Genesis chapter, excuse me, of Genesis chapter 34, it says that now Dinah, who was the daughter of Leah, so all the 11 brothers had a sister named Dinah, whom she had born to Jacob, went out to visit the daughters of the land, of where now she's back in the promised land. Now, these aren't her fellow countrymen. These are, these are, non-believing uh, other tribes and people living in the land. And then it says in verse 2, when Shechem, the son of Hamor the Hivite, the prince of the land, saw her, Dinah, he took her and lay with her and raped her. 
And so here, here we go from back in the land, life should be good. Literally, next verse, hmm. one of Jacob's daughters being raped by a prince of the land. I mean, this is this is this is millennia before the Me Too movement, Bill. Right. And you know, th- th- this stuff is going on back then. And so when Dinah's brothers, the Jacob's eleven sons, find out about this, well, they are just fit to be tired with uh, tied with revenge on their mind. Now we just had the example of Esau forgiving Jacob. But now the brothers are in no mood to forgive Shechem for for raping their their sister. So you can see immediately you come back in the land. It's like this our fallen world things go wrong, and this is about to about to be a really explosive situation. Mm. That is such hard uh, passage of scripture to to read and to understand and to try to put yourself in the situation where the sister has been violated in this way. Mm-hmm. And you can just understand what, what these guys were thinking and the kind of revenge they wanted. This is a real human emotion. Right. It's it's exactly. I mean, you can you can understand. It's it's pretty rightfully they they have probably righteous anger over what took place to their sister. A woman shouldn't be raped. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, the the fact is, what their next step was, which we'll talk about coming up, was was way beyond. Uh, the sort of punishment that Shechem uh, should have received. Yeah, I do want to talk about the uh, the, the personal vengeance, but let's get to um, back, you know, it's funny, in, in this chapter again, guess what comes up again, David, and I think you're, you're, you're going to talk to this, but this intermarrying with non-believers, here we are addressing yeah. it again. Yeah, this has come up several times in Genesis, how, how God does not want his followers to marry people who aren't his followers. And this is a this is a a principle of scripture that's all the way through not only the Old Testament but plainly stated in the New Testament to marry in the Lord. In other words, you need to be equally yoked. It's like an, an oxen and a donkey can't plow together. The yoke is is different, so it's always going to be crooked and things aren't going to go right. And so it, it brings most honor to God when we marry someone a fellow believer. And so at that particular time where this, this, this young man, this prince of the land, Shechem, really loved Dinah, even though he raped her, he really loved her and wanted to, to get married to her. And his father spoke to Jacob and says in, in, chapter, uh, in chapter 34, verse 8, please give her to him in marriage, Dinah, to my son, and intermarry with us. Here's the intermarriage part. Give your daughters to us and take our daughters for yourselves. So you will live with us, and the land shall be open to you. Live and trade in it and acquire property in it. And just notice, Bill, how the the non-believer has no problem being unequal yoked in marriage. It's not going to be a problem for the Hivites Mm -hmm. of the land to marry into Jacob's family, but it's going to be a major spiritual mistake if Jacob's family, believers, marry into this non-believing family. And, and of course, the Hivites give all these great motivations to do so. You're going to have more land. You're going to make more money. You're going to have more favorability. And there's always those reasons that Satan presents to us when someone comes into our life for the single people listening today. Uh, I really strongly believe that Satan works so hard in our lives to, to, to present just the kind of person we'd be attracted to, but someone who's a non-believer that wouldn't be an equal-yoked marital relationship. But this, if if they had gone down this road, and when we intermarry with those who are non-believers, it, it kind of ruins the separateness of God's people. And it, there's always leads to compromise. You think of the example of Solomon in Scripture. He had hundreds of wives, 
and it was his wives that didn't follow the Lord that led his heart astray, and it ends in total tragedy. So here's yet another example of a situation where there's a temptation to intermarry, and fortunately, well, unfortunately is what happened next when, with the reprisal that the brothers have, but their temptation was here yet again. Yeah, and I also just want to take a second here, David, along with you to love on some of the folks listening that possibly uh, married a non-believer and have mm-hmm. suffered. And, you know, it's your wisdom to single people is really, of course, spot on and wise, but there are many people who have lived lives for many, many years who did uh, possibly marry a non-believer, and that didn't go well, and maybe they're not together anymore, uh, and there's pain there. So I just there want is. to and be that's a, that's loving a and gentle. Point. That is a great point to bring up, because First Corinthians 7 talks all about that. If you're married unequal yoke to marriage, you're not just to get out of it and move on. First um, Corinthians 7 talks all about that. So read that passage if you're in a kind of marriage like that, because uh, uh, being in that marriage, you're, you're an evangelistic tool, uh, ambassador by God for not only your spouse, but also your children as well. Mm-hmm. David, let me take a short break. David Wheaton, of course, is my guest. We're continuing our series on the book of Genesis and why it's so relevant for today. You can go to thechristianworldview.org to learn more about David, listen to his uh, awesome podcasts, and uh, learn about his books and his writing and his speaking. We'll be right back. Just that David Wheaton is my guest, and he is in fact my guest. You can go to the ChristianWorldview.org. Think biblically, live accordingly. That's what his website talks about. Every week you can catch his radio program. It's all podcasted. If you want to go listen uh, later tonight, you can go do that. But we are right now continuing our series on Genesis, which is awesome. And uh, David, maybe we can pick it up. Uh, I think it's in about verse 25 of chapter 34. And talk about why we really should never take personal vengeance like Jacob's yeah. sons did. This is yet another account in Genesis that's most relevant to today. So we talked about that Dinah, uh, the daughter of Jacob, her 11 brothers are just totally enraged that the Shechem, the prince of the land, has, has raped their sister. Even though he wants to marry her and he loves her, uh, he raped her. That, that's the fact. And they, the Shechem and his father are kind of begging Jacob to, to let Dinah marry uh, Shechem and so forth. And, and finally, the, the, the sons of Jacob come up with this really deceitful plan. They're, they're very, very angry. They're not showing it, but they have a very wicked intent going on here. Uh, it, it came about in the, uh, that they, it says that they said, we cannot intermarry with you. So they, they knew the principle of not being unequally yoked. Uh, they said, we cannot give our sister to a man who is uncircumcised. Circumcision was a sign of a covenant that you were a follower of God at that point, for that will be a disgrace to us. So in, in verse 15, only on this condition will we consent to you to have Dinah marry Shechem, if you will become like us, and that every male of you will be circumcised. Then we will give our daughters to you, and we will take your daughters for ourselves, and we will live with you and become one people. Um <laughs> So this was a, a plan. So they, you know, you think these people are probably like, well, what's circumcision? Why is that important? But it just shows you how much Shechem wanted to marry Dinah, that he convinced not only himself, but his father and the rest of the, the people of his tribe 
to get circumcised. So they get circumcised, and as they're in pain, you can imagine a few days after this, two of Jacob's sons, Simeon and Levi, the brothers of Dinah, uh, it says in verse 25, each took a sword and came upon the city undetected and killed every male. Hmm. They killed Hamor wow. and his son Shechem with the edge of the sword. They took Dinah out of Shechem's house and left. Jacob's sons came upon those who killed and looted the city because they had defiled their sister. They took their flocks, their herds, their donkeys, and that which was in the city and that which was in the field. And they captured and looted all their wealth and all their little ones and their wives even everything that was in the houses. So, you know, you talk about the word disproportionate revenge or disproportionate punishment. That's exactly what, what this is. This is way beyond, even though Shechem had done a terrible thing, Shechem alone was responsible. Not Shechem's dad, not the rest of the, the tribe or the city. Uh, Shechem alone to be deserved to be punished for this crime. And so what, what they did, what happened when they did this terrible atrocity is that it made Jacob's family despised. And again, they didn't own the whole land yet. They were just kind of nomadic people on the land. There's lots of other non-believing people in this land. It made them despised in the land, and it, and it put them in huge danger of likely payback. I mean, people aren't going to look at—they're going to say, yeah, he raped your sister, but you killed all the whole the whole tribe. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and this is why the relevance for us today is this is why God says, vengeance is mine— oh. I will repay, says the Lord. In other words, when we are offended, something horrible happens to us. We need to not take personal vengeance. Self-defense is different, but not take personal uh, vengeance, but go through the proper legal channels so that there's a justice higher than our emotion uh, in our rage and anger like, uh, like Jacob's son showed against Shechem and his tribe. That's never a plan that goes well, personal no. vengeance. No, I mean, this was a brutal, brutal killing. And as a matter of fact, right afterwards got so bad that Jacob had to move his family away from there. And that, that started to put them in a, on a process of moving from one town to another to sort of keep on the run. Uh, at least that's the implication from this. Mm -hmm. David, why is it, uh, why is passing on the faith to the next generation so difficult? Well, yeah, you look at this this great family of Scripture. You know, Jacob, has, has he's going to have 12 sons coming up here, the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, you know, these are still—these you know, tribes are well-known. They're the, they're the foundation for the Jewish people and everything else. So you just think, well, this should be, you know, one great family, right? There's mm -hmm. harmony. They follow the Lord with their own their whole heart, and this is a model for us today. Well, it's actually not. And it actually teaches us a really good lesson that's really relevant for us today that— because if the parents are believers, uh, you know, God doesn't have grandchildren, so to speak. Mm -hmm. There's nothing that's passed down. The faith, the true saving faith is not passed down. And we see in the beginning of uh, Genesis chapter 35, and Jacob, as they were moving, Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, remove the foreign gods which are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments and let's arise and go up to Bethel and there I will make an altar to God. In other words, you think, Wait now, Jacob is telling his sons, aren't, aren't they followers of God? And aren't, aren't they like right in the fold there? Well, apparently not. They have foreign gods that they're worshiping that they probably just picked up syncretistically from, you know, being in the land and seeing other people and what they worship and their hearts weren't right, obviously. I mean, look what look what the two sons had just done to Shechem and his tribe. Their hearts were not right before God. And so it, it's it's a it's a lesson here for us today when we have children that passing on the faith 
there's really no such thing that like, you pass it on. It's really about proclaiming uh, the kingdom of God, the gospel to our children over and over again because and praying for their salvation because you were born, as it says in Ephesians 2, everyone's born and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, that's Satan, who now works in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the de- desires of our flesh and of our mind, and we're by, nat- by, ch- by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. That's Ephesians 2, that incredible passage there in the first three verses. And so we're no one's born saved. We're born, we're born unsaved. And so the, the greatest thing that parents need to do is pray for their children's salvation and to present the gospel to them so they understand who God is and that they're sinners and that their sin alienates them from God and that Jesus Christ is the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through his substitutionary death and his supernatural resurrection and putting our faith in that. And even in Jacob's family, Bill, this was a major thing that many of the sons apparently were having, you know, household gods, false idols and so forth, even growing up in the the great patriarch family of the Old Testament. Yeah, you said something so powerfully um, that you are dead in your sins. That's pretty serious. Mm-hmm. You, you, in other words, to be saved, to be rescued, mm-hmm. to be born again, however yes. you want to say it, you have to realize you're lost and in yes. need of rescue. Otherwise, what are you crying out to God to save you for? Exactly. And our greatest problem in life is not our education or our family background or our environment or whatever it is, not our marriage or whatever. Our greatest problem is our sin, which alienates us, separates us from God. It's how can we as sinful human beings be forgiven and made right with the Holy God? That is the most important question in life. Mm -hmm. And the good news is God answers that question by sending his son Jesus to die as a substitute for our sin, that those who would believe in him as Savior and Lord will be forgiven and saved. Yeah, David, okay, we're down to 90 seconds, which I'm sorry that we're already out of time, but uh, let's talk uh, why God keeps reaffirming the Abrahamic covenant. Yeah, this has been something that we've talked about for probably months now. I think it came about what in first Genesis 12, and we're up in Genesis 35, where God had promised first to Jacob's grandfather, Abraham, that you're going to be blessed, and you're going to have land, and you're going to have seed, and this land's going to be yours. Now, it never happened in Abraham's life. It never happened in Isaac's life, and it's actually never going to really be totally fulfilled even in Jacob's life. But God keeps reaffirming this covenant, this agreement, this Abrahamic covenant, now to the grandson Jacob. And it's like these continual reminders that that he gives Jacob, but also he gives us through his word, because he knows we need to be reminded of God's promises on a regular basis. And that's why it's so important for us to be in the word on a regular basis, so we can be reminded of God's promises for us. Yeah, solid, David. Thank you. As always, it's always nice to talk to you, and thank you for this series on Genesis. I, I'm loving this, and I so appreciate you, and um, I just uh, look forward to these times that we get to talk about it. I do too, Bill. Thank you for the yeah, opportunity. You bet. David Wheaton has been my guest. Go to thechristianworldview.org. Learn more about David, and you can also listen to his podcast. He has a brilliant show. You should go listen. We'll take a little break. When we come back, Pastor Lance Hahn will be joining me. I can't wait. It's the Afternoon Show with Bill Arno. Drive time, drive time. Let's get it started. 
So nice to have a chance to connect again with Lance Sihan. Uh, I, you know, I don't have a specific uh, plan in mind with Lance. I just need to talk to him every once in a while because he helps me, and I know he helps you too. He was born and raised in California, which makes me wonder, Lance, have you ever owned a pair of long underwear? <laughs> you haven't, Absolutely have you? not. There, no, there's there's no use yeah. for that. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, no. So right that... now I have my door wide open. Yeah. <laughs> so I just every once in a while I just have to connect with you because you you make me glad, you make me happy. You you live your life so transparently and you talk about fear and mastering the art of freaking out, which is a book you you've written and I know there's a lot of people right now, especially in this uh, year that are having those kinds of uh issues. So um maybe you wouldn't mind addressing some of the ways that you've been dealing with it. Sure, sure. Well, Bill, I, and once again, being transparent, you know, I'm walking through it as well, right? Just because, you know, when when you have something like a, a panic disorder and it triggers off different things and affects your body and all that, um, you know, it's it'd be neat if you could write a book and then it would go away. That would be awesome. But <laughs> yeah. that is not exactly how it goes. So and, and when you have a global pandemic, it's not exactly the most soothing element in the world. So I obviously have tons of triggers, even just right now, uh, before we got on this call, we're trying to figure out what to do with church because so many of our members uh, on the teams have come down with COVID. Oh, wow. So we actually have to go back online, not for any other reason, but that we don't have enough team members to pull off the services. So, you know, and we're talking about exposure and all that stuff. So I understand when people talk about having that that anxiety underneath or just the nervousness or the tension. I was talking with a buddy the other day and we were talking about the fact that it's just tiring, right? You find yourself exhausted at the end of the day and you said, what did I do? And you didn't really do anything, but you were thinking and you were holding your stomach mm. in and you were stressing out. Yeah. And you know, on those times, I got to tell you, Bill, the, when the Bible talks about renewing your mind with the word of God and having to re-rack and having to self-talk, mm-hmm. that is legitimate. Yeah, when you talk about just having a day where maybe you have these adrenaline surges periodically and you've got triggers, so you probably go through that a bunch. I know you've been very open about some of your panic attacks and your anxiety that you've had since you've been a child. And yes, yeah, since I was six years old, yeah. Yeah, and yet you're this incredibly gifted speaker and communicator and writer, and anyone who would look at a picture of you, they would go, well, this guy's got everything going for him, and the fact is, yeah, you do, and you have these gifts, but you also have this little thing that goes on in your brain that says, uh, you know, you, you have anxiety and fear, and, of course, the Bible says don't, so, you know, we're yeah. trying to process those two together. You know, um, and I, you know, you and I have talked a number of times and by the way, Bill, you are always incredibly amazing and professional and sweet and kind to me. Mm, So I just got, I just got to tell you, man, you are, you are absolutely an awesome representative of the Lord in my life. Um, so, uh, but when we've talked and stuff, you know, uh, I, I recently taught this, this last, um, this last year up at a Christian camp and we were talking about, uh, you know, this idea that there's a few words that can change your whole life. And it, and the Bible says, the Lord is at hand, do not be afraid. And, and what it's saying is it's not saying there aren't scary things out there. 
it's saying that you have a God who's nearby who can handle all of that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and so getting my head back into that game, realizing, you know what, I'm not operating when I'm worried and I'm a fearful, I'm not operating in reality. I'm operating in a distorted version of reality. God's reality is the only one that matters. And God is not anxious. God is not worried. Um, you know, I got to tell you this powerful thing. Um, one of our uh, pastors just preached this last weekend. We're doing an Advent series, so we're doing hope and peace, and I'm doing joy this weekend, which is ironic, and then love, <laughs> <laughs> right? And, yeah. And, um, you know, God always does that to me. And then uh, he, he had this line, just blew me out of the water, wrote it on my phone. I'm carrying it with me. He said, peace is not a destination. It's a companion for the journey. Wow. And that we can't always wait to get to somewhere or something to finish out before we're peaceful. It's that the Prince of Peace is present right now. I was saying the other night, I was saying, just, you know, it popped in my head. I said, you know, the struggles that are going on in my mind have much more to do with my inability to abide than his ability to provide. I love that. You know that. what I'm talking about? Yeah. And, and, and somehow I'm not staying connected to the Prince of Peace and the source of peace because even though I have a panic disorder and my chemicals are off and I take medication and all that, I still have a responsibility to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Mm -hmm. I still have all that responsibility to submit my heart and my fears. When God said, do not be afraid, whether that was in the Christmas story like we've been celebrating coming up here. You know, when he said to the shepherds, do not be afraid, we're here for good reasons. Uh, yeah, it looks scary, but when you understood what God was doing, it was beautiful. That's the reality. And so when Jesus would rebuke his disciples for saying, why are you worried about the wind and the waves? Why are you worried about this? Don't you understand? I'm here. And when I'm here, everything shifts. And we need to hear that every day. We need to be reminded of that all the time, because even when you say that, Lance, I feel like my shoulders just dropped a little bit. Yeah. I just started to relax and go, oh, yeah, that that I understand. That's that's meeting me where I'm at right now. But what happens two hours from now when that thought sort of goes away? Yeah, I, I think uh, and maybe last time we talked, I used kind of a funny analogy. I'd love to to share it again. Please but do. I, I said. I said, why isn't everyone just terrified at the amount of toddlers that are in Disneyland? <laughs> you know, because because there are dangerous stuff in Disneyland, man. There's rides and there's stuff you could fall off on. Yeah. And nobody, nobody seems to be concerned about this, right? I mean, you have thousands of little kids everywhere and no one seems to be concerned. And why is that? It's because they're not there alone. They're there holding hands with someone who's caring for them. Mm -hmm. And that makes it not scary. It's, we are not walking through this world 
alone. If we were just alone, maybe we would have cause for concern, but we're not alone. Mm -hmm. We are holding the hands of our heavenly father who turns something that could be terrifying into a joyful adventure, building beautiful memories. I completely agree with what you just said. Thank you for those uh, wise words. Now, in your book, uh, another book you wrote called The Master's Mind, The Art of Reshaping Your Thoughts, um, you talk about um, identity theft. I'd love for you to talk about that a little bit. Yeah, uh, who we are. See, I believe that Christian identity is everything, right? So meaning that Jesus did it all. I think that that when we get to the understanding that we're not bringing a whole lot to the table, right? We're bringing our heart and our worship. But and in Eastern cultures, this was understood a little bit better because they, there's a common view in Eastern cultures of a patron-client uh, relationship. And what it means is somebody has the resources. The other person's job is to praise them for it. So, for example, you can go over to Indonesia today, and the idea is if you're considered the one with resources, you bring in the help and they publicly praise you for it. Well, that is a very that is not very common in Western view. So when we think about the idea that God goes, no, 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 I have all the resources. Mm-hmm. I'm just looking for your acknowledgement. I'm looking for your the glory you'll bring me. I'm looking for the worship and praise. I'm not looking for a one to one trade. You don't. You can't bring anything to me. So when we start thinking that Christian identity is the idea that when we got saved, a big package was delivered to our doorstep, and we open it up, and for the rest of our lives, we're digging out treasures. And what we're finding out is that our identity means that we are children of the king. He's not going to allow the children of his own heart to have anything happen to them that he's not watching over. We, we bear the mark of the Holy Spirit. In the ancient world, they would put a mark, and it meant if you mess with this, you mess with the entire empire of Rome. <laughs> yeah. there, there's, a, there's a heaven mark on us that tells the enemy, just be aware. I know you're going to try to attack, but just know that if you do that, the full force of heaven's coming against you. Don't touch my kids. Right. And, 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 I mean, this identity theft that somehow— Satan, you know, we only have three enemies, right? They're not people. World of flesh, the devil. Mm-hmm. And the the world is this idea that there's so many distractions and so many voices, like a cacophony of things pulling us in a million different directions and telling us who we are. Oh, you're insecure. Oh, you have this problem or you're not strong enough. You're not tall enough. You're not beautiful enough. And we have all these voices from the world telling us who we are. That is stealing our identity. And then when we talk about the flesh, internally we have these doubts and these worries and these these insecurities that are even pulling from inside, pulling away what God told us we are. Mm-hmm. And then the, de- the devil, it says he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And it calls him the great liar. He's the accuser. So he's messing with our head and telling us that we're something that we're not. And this is where we have to dig in so strongly and say, I refuse to allow my identity to be ripped off. I refuse to allow them to take away what God has said is true of me. And I will hang on to what is right. I love that, uh, Lance. And, you know, if we have maybe even three by five cards and we write some of these uh, things down that we can always have with us just in the car, we're reminding ourselves of who we are in Christ. I mean, 
because it doesn't take much for the enemy to have a little bit of uh, influence in your in in your head uh, as you're as you're driving. We might have lost him. Yeah, did, did you go yeah, away? I'm back. Oh, I'm good. Back. Oh, what a relief! I don't know if you heard I what I was just saying, yes. but you know, I did. You, you talk sorry. you talk about the constant reminders, and I think yeah, we have to be equipping ourselves, and it might mean something as simple as a handful of three by five cards on the seat of the on the seat of the car, or on the console that we can you know. When we get in the car and put on the seatbelt, we look at a few and go, okay, now I can get started. I, I need to be reminded all the time of my identity in Christ. You know, I think based on personality, so I grew up in a household of three by five cards. Okay. I grew up where my mom had them posted in all the cabinets. So whenever she would open up a cabinet, it was it was taped up there. Mm-hmm. And, and she had them everywhere. She had them on her mirror and they were all reminders. And I think that some yeah. people are very atmospheric like that. Yeah. That when you shape it and put it in your car, you put it somewhere. Other people are information driven where it would be a reminder set on your phone. You know, I have a buddy, one of our elders at the church, he has alarms going off all the time. And some of the alarms are just to pray. Some of the alarms are just to tell him that God is good. Yeah. Wow. And, and, and so do we need reminders? Yes. Yeah. We're all human beings and we're leaky vessels. We forget. Yeah, I love that. So maybe we can encourage everyone today to be intentional about uh, creating messages for yourself in various places yeah. so you can be reminded throughout your day, whether it's an alarm on your phone or a three-by-five card um, next to your, your mirror or where. I mean, it's really important to be arming yourself and equipping yourself with reminders. Amen. Amen. And definitely do it in something that matters to you. I think sometimes we get in this idea that a method is holier because someone that we respected did it. And then we go, why doesn't it work for me? Well, you're unique. And so there's some beautiful ways that God talks to you. Mm-hmm. You know, in our in our family, um, we have uh, a connection with dragonflies because in very critical, important moments of our family's life, we've had dragonflies show up and they, they became kind of a symbol of the Holy Spirit's presence. Uh-huh. So if you look – if you look in my car, there is a woven – somebody made me a dragonfly out of twine. Wow. It's in my car yeah, at all there times. You go. If you look in my office, there's another one in there. It only matters to me. Nobody else is looking and going, oh, a bug. Nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's very funny. All right. When we get back, I'm going to talk more about uh, the ways in which we are going to reshape our thinking. Um, so Lance Hahn is my guest. He's written a number of books go to, go to uh, lancehan.com to learn more about Lance. He has a good-looking picture. Uh, and when we come back, I definitely want to find out who's cutting his hair during COVID. We'll be right back. So glad to be back with Lance Hahn. He's a pastor in California, and he's uh, written a number of books. One is called How to Live in Fear, Mastering the Art of Freaking Out. The other one is called The Master's Mind, The Art of Reshaping Your Thoughts. I would love some coaching, Lance, if you have any tips for me on how to reshape a thought. Yeah, I think the first thing is to change a little bit about how we perceive thoughts. And now this is super weird. I mean, it's like, hey, think differently about thinking, right? I mean, that's <laughs> yeah. kind of what I just said. You're in but safe company the, with I, me, with weird thoughts. Amen. Yeah. Amen. So here, here's what we really need to do. We think that our thoughts are somehow 
more important than they are, that they can go where they want to go, that they can do what they want to do. But when the Bible talks about keeping our thoughts captive, Mm. it suggests that they may want to stray. It suggests that they may want to go somewhere else and that our will and what we would consider in the Bible our heart needs to control that and say, hold on a second. This is not what we're doing. We are not focusing on this. We are reshaping our reality. We are reshaping our perception of this. So, for example, I'm laying down in bed. It's been a long day, and I had a bunch of exposure to a bunch of different people, and I'm thinking to myself, man, what does this mean for my health in the year of of a pandemic? What does this mean? Well, I can start going down that road and start saying, man, well, what if I do get sick? Well, what's that going to mean? And then I can... And I'll start playing the what if game. Mm-hmm. And I believe everybody has has like a master's degree in the what if game. You know what I'm saying? Oh, Some of yes. us have a doctorate. Oh, yeah. So and so the idea of a what if game is that your mind starts going down a trail and you have to take control and say, you don't get to do that. You do not get to go wherever you want. I'm going to tell you there's a better way and we're going to hang on to what God said. Or we're going to hang on and keep things within reason, right? Mm-hmm. And and I think that another way to do that is a lot of the Psalms are actually David's self-talk. Now, if, I would encourage anyone that's listening right now, if you are able to journal and that matters to you, boy, is that powerful. Because you get your thoughts out on a piece of paper and you can start working with them. I think it's absolutely brilliant. David journaled a lot. And he said, he said, um, he would say, be still my soul inside me or don't worry. And he would start talking to himself to say, I know there is a reality more accurate than what I'm believing. Excuse me, what I'm believing right now. Mm -hmm. And so this idea of shaping our thoughts, of grabbing them, pulling them back, morphing them, submitting them, bending them into what is right and good. You know, um, I, you know, I'm not exactly a great flyer. Uh, on airplanes. That's not my favorite thing. And when I'm on there, the reality is, is either the plane is safe or it's not. My perspective of it does not change that reality Mm -hmm. because there's multiple perspectives in that plane. It either is what it is just because someone is scared and someone's confident, which one wins, right? (laughs) The people's perspective, the people's perspective don't shape it. It is what it is. And so some of us are coming in and we're carrying an anxiety that we don't need to carry, right? The the safety of air travel is so expressly pointed out in statistics. Uh, if you think about someone that's never been in a car before and they're nervous and hanging on while you're driving and you're thinking, I do this every day. There is no reason to be afraid and they can't even enjoy the trip. Well, that that means our thinking is wrong. Mm-hmm. That really well said. I, you know, when you talk about laying in your bed, thinking about the people you were exposed to and what could be a possible outcome, is it that at this point, Lance, you're trying to create scenarios in your head so you'll have a response for each one, which creates the illusion that maybe I have some control? Because aren't we at, at the heart of it control. kind of control freaks? Yeah. Every bit of fear at the heart of it is being trapped. Mm. Oh, um, boy. And it means Say more that about that. Some, yeah, that something is going to be forced upon you that you can't stop. That is the heart of all fear. And what's intriguing about it is truly the reality is, yes, 
we are not in control of all of our environment, but we happen to be connected to the one who is. That does not mean that he will always shape it our way or he'll always align with our perspectives. But it does say this, we get really scared because we feel like it's going to happen and we can't stop it. Mm -hmm. And we desperately want control because control feels safe. We can say that, no, 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 what's going to happen is going to be good and I'm going to make it be good. But here's the other problem. It says really that um, like in Romans 2, 15 through 16, I was just reading this the other day, that it was talking about their conscience bears witnesses and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. Um, and it was talking about how our minds and our hearts and our – we're all over the place and we are just making stuff up in order to get more control. Mm -hmm. You know, I feel like – because here's what's interesting to me. How much – and this is a crazy question that blew my mind the other day. How much time do we spend praying versus worrying? Because what we call prayer many times is just thinking about worrisome thoughts. And we said, oh, I prayed about it. <laughs> I don't think we did. <laughs> I think we just freaked out for a little while. Yeah. And uh, and we keep kind of calling our prayers prayers when in fact they're not always prayers they're just thoughts, and and it talks about it says be anxious about nothing but in all things by prayer and petition present your request to God and the peace that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds, and, and it's talking about real petition handing it to an expert, that's what brings peace. Yes. It, 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 that's what brings the calm. It's it's not the idea where I did some magic words and hopefully that's going to work out for me. You know, God yeah. isn't a vending machine. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. That's so uh, so interesting, Lance. I appreciate that. You know, that verse in Philippians 4, 6, and 7, I think that was the most uh, Googled verse so far in 2020. Um, there's, isn't that amazing? Yeah. And then when we think about the great verse that is basically thy will be done, um, where at the end of the day, we always as believers say thy will be done, Lord. Um, and yet there's hopefully rest in that place that thy will be done rest. I think that there's an extra piece that's broad when thy will is good. You understand what I'm saying? Um, because let's say, for example, we had to submit to a tyrant you would still have to say thy will be done because I can't do anything about it. Right. But that tyrant, that tyrant intended bad. But our submitting to our God is submitting to a good, good father, submitting to someone that cares for us, somebody that's looking out for us in ways we're not looking out for ourselves, someone that knows us better than we know ourselves, knows what would be truly fulfilling and what would be a waste. Knowing ultimately what we're afraid of when we're pretending in our insecurity we're afraid of something else. That our God is so extravagantly creative and so involved that when we hand it over to him and we say, thy will be done, it's a good will. Mm -hmm. Lance, we have just a couple minutes left. I would love for you to leave us with a truth that we can treasure. Yeah. Uh, well, let's do this. Here we go. Second uh, <laughs> Corinthians ten four. <laughs> Hang on, let me write this down. Second Corinthians ten four through 10, six. 4. Okay, got it down. Uh, go for ahead. The wep for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we take thought captive. We take every thought captive to obey Christ. 
being ready to punish disobedience when your obedience is complete. That idea that we are equipped, that we are powerful, that we can destroy things that are lack of truth, that are wrong, that are lies, that we are not battling people, but we're battling principalities and thoughts, but we have the ability in Jesus Christ and by the power of his Holy Spirit to bring domination and the gates of hell would not prevail. And we can bring our thoughts captive and say, I choose to remain in the peace of God. Wow. So what's next that we should look for? I, I was on your website today and you've started a, a podcast. Yeah, a so blog? I have a podcast. Yeah, I have a yeah. podcast called Thought Revolution with Lance Hahn. Yeah, and I don't need that you competing is, with that, me. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm sorry about that. It's, okay. it's always in in addition to. Oh, thank you. Thank you for pointing supplement. that out. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I'm a supplement to yeah. the main meal there. Thank you. Um, but Yeah, but when people have a little extra snack they need, they can yes. go over to mine. It's LanceHahn, um, H-A-H-N dot com. Yeah, go ahead. Yes. Yeah, so this, this podcast is talking about so many things, and the idea is to really think about things afresh and, and stir it in our minds. There are a lot of concepts we've talked about before, but I talk about them in a fresh way. Nice. Right? I, I, I praise God that he's given me a bizarre head, you know, a bizarre oh mind. Yeah, you are a gifted <laughs> man, and you're, you're using your, your – all that God has given you wisely, so thank you for what you do. Oh, amen, brother. Okay. I love it. I love being able to minister. Thanks. And keep saying yes when I call, please. Oh, I always say yes Okay, to you. I know you do. I appreciate that. Lance, you're a gift. Thank you so much. Have a great day, yep. my friend. Yep. Lance Hahn has been my guest. Go to LanceHahn.com or check out Amazon for any of his books and go listen to his podcast when you have time. All right. After a short break, we're back in hour two. That has the prayer series ahead. We've got a fantastic guest coming up. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.